Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we continue to study the book of Romans, I just pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your eternal truth. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, that we might rest in your truth and power. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our study of Romans chapter 11, let me first give you a summary of the progress so far that we've made in that chapter, as well as an opening to our new verses. And if you recall, chapter 11 opens up with a question posed by Paul. In 11.1, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Because earlier in 10, he dealt with the rejection of Christ by the Hebrews. So naturally, it would be a logical question to ask, has God cast away his people? And he answers emphatically, certainly not. And as Paul has a quick question and then an answer, he then goes on and gives a detailed reason why the Hebrews have not been passed over, and it all relates to the remnant of Jews who will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you look later down in the chapter in 11.5, He writes, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul, anticipating the reader's mind, then poses another question, which is the topic of our study this morning. And this question can be found in verse 11 of the 11th chapter. And this is the question that Paul poses. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, as a group of people, the Hebrews as a group, have they stumbled that they should fall? And of course he answers again emphatically, Certainly not. But what does this question mean? Have they stumbled that they should fall? And it means, have they gone so far to their permanent ruin? Have they gone so far to their permanent ruin? Now, you may say to yourself, well, I'm not a Jew, so this doesn't matter to me. And... For our listeners that are listening in through sermon audio, they may be tempted to turn the sermon off because they go, well, I'm not a Jew, so this doesn't matter to me. I want to take the time as we begin to say that these verses are extremely important to you. As a believer living in our modern time, these verses are extremely important to you. And let me outline the reasons why as we progress through our verses this morning. One reason why these verses are important to you is that through the fall of the Jews, the non-Jew, 
the Gentile was offered grace. Through their rejection, we were offered grace. And Paul states that in the balance of verse 11 of the 11th chapter. Let's look at it again. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now let's talk about this phrase. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about this, first of all, from a historical perspective. If we talk about church history, and if you look at Acts 15, when you go to the 15th chapter of Acts, the believing Jews, those Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ as the risen Lord, what we're reading in the 15th chapter... The church has already been established. This is post-resurrection. And the Jews are troubled. And the reason why they're troubled is is that the Gentiles are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're accepting them. And there's this great debate in the 15th chapter of Acts on whether or not circumcision, that Old Testament requirement, should circumcision be placed upon the new Gentile believers. And this is what they're debating in Jerusalem in the 15th chapter of Acts. And as you progress in the chapter, James in the 12th verse stands up and addresses the group as they're debating them. And what he says in the 12th verse, well, what Luke records in the 12th verse of the 15th chapter, it reads, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Now in verse 16 and 17, as James is addressing the group, he quotes from Amos. And he's referring to the millennial kingdom where Gentiles would accept Christ. But he's using that prophecy to say it was always in God's plan that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in Acts 15, what you see is two things. You see from a historical perspective that us looking back now, us looking back, we see that Gentiles at the first century church accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We see that from a historical perspective, the Jerusalem Council debating whether or not Gentile believers 
should be subjected to the Old Testament requirement of circumcision. And then from a perspective of prophecy, as James quotes Amos, we see that the New Testament church is a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. And in fact, if you look in the book of Acts on four separate occasions, the Jewish audience, as the apostles are preaching the gospel, are telling the Jewish audience that they are offered Christ first, and because of their rejection, it is then offered to the Gentile people. Now, this is important because as we see in these verses that Paul has written, that clearly the Gentiles were to be offered salvation because the Hebrews has rejected it. So why is this important to me, important to you? That we would not have been offered salvation had not the Hebrews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second reason that these verses are important to you. And I would say it's from the level of experience. What do I mean by that? Well, I find that these verses give me a great encouragement in my faith. And the reason why I find these verses encouraging is that through prophecy, the Bible has told us that Israel would reject. We just went over that. And that the Gentiles would accept Jesus Christ. Now, you and I have the privilege of standing here today in the 21st century and looking back. We've got that privilege. The Lord prophesied that the Gentiles would accept. Now let's think about that just for a moment. The Gentiles, us, were a really pagan people. We were all about the flesh. And in fact, our last international trip before COVID, Kathy and I took a tour of Greece and we went to a lot of the pagan temples. We were at Ephesus and you could see the pagan worship. We went to Pompeii and... It was so fleshly that I can't even go into detail in mixed company how horrible the people of Pompeii were. So as you look at this and you put that in context, you see from the Jewish perspective how dramatic the switch was. And in fact, what we're looking at here is as we look at the first century church, We're at this turning point in the first century, and it's dramatic. So in this turning point, we go from the Jews to immediately the Gentiles. We go from a people that were pursuing righteousness, even though they weren't pursuing it in a proper way, but they were pursuing righteousness. 
to where the Gentiles, the pagan people, are looking and they're accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and they are coming to a saving knowledge. And all of a sudden the pagans transformed by Christ are pursuing righteousness. And so as we look at this, as you and I have the ability to stand back and and look for 2,000 years, we can see 2,000 years of where the Hebrews have rejected, except for a very small remnant where the Hebrews have rejected. And we see where we have accepted. And so I can look at this from a level of experience and observation in history, and I can look at that and say, God's Word is true. God's Word is true. Because history has proven it. And if you really think about it, post-revelation When Christ gave John the book of Revelation, post then, post then, post the canon being closed, you and I can look at this from an experiential level and say, God's word is true. I have observed it and I can prove it. That's why these verses are encouraging. Because God said that this is what's going to happen. And you and I as believers living in our current time have the privilege of looking back here and saying, this is, this is what's been going on. I can see it. The third reason why these verses are important is that there's more to come. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 12. It says, now, if their fall is riches for the world, In other words, if the Hebrews' fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more is their fullness? I had to spend some time on this. And I'm hopeful that I can explain this in a correct manner where we can all be on the same page. What does this mean? And there's actually some debate on what this means. And so let's talk about verse 12 first, just on a topical level. On a topical level, if the people of Israel, if there's going to be more than a remnant, and that's what we're told, if you and I have received the blessing through their rejection, how much more are we going to receive through their acceptance? But where the debate is, is what does fullness mean? What does fullness mean? Quantity or quality? That's the debate. Quantity or quality? Quantity, meaning that when all of the Jews accept, and we're going to go into more detail later, that we'll be ultimately blessed, or as people come to a saving knowledge within the Hebrew nation, their fullness, will the quality, will we have an increase in blessings? My personal opinion is, is that in verse 12, that he's talking about the quality of our blessings. Because he's writing it in context of riches, Right? Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? In other words, there's going to be an increase in the quality. 
And this is reinforced by what Paul pens in the next verses. Look at verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And here again we have some more discussion. What does life from the dead mean? In one camp says that life from the dead means the resurrection. And in fact, if you go back to that and you combine quality and quantity and you look at life from the dead and you, you can read page after page of what, well, what does this mean? Does this mean as, as the Hebrews come over a period of time to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, does it mean that our blessings increase or does it mean that at the end of time, you're going to have a mass conversion of Hebrews. And at that mass conversion of Hebrews, that becomes an end-of-time event. And so what does life from the dead mean? What's he referring to? Is he referring to life from the dead as the Hebrews come to a saving knowledge? Is he referring to a spiritual life from the dead? So right now, in this present time, as a Hebrew comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they go from dead to life, right? Same thing for you and I, correct? That we go from death to life when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? So does it mean as the Hebrews are accepting Christ all along, our blessings are increasing to the Hebrew people? Or is he referring to an end-of-time event? Because in... Extra-biblical literature, the Jews have always said that the resurrection from the dead is an end-of-time event for them. That there will be a mass conversion and end-of-time. And there's a great debate on whether this is happening through a trickling or is Paul referring to this all-one-time event where we see a mass conversion of the Hebrew people. I'm not punting. I'm not punting. But I think people are splitting hairs. And let me tell you why I believe that. Am I blessed? And are you blessed when one person, regardless of whether they're Jew or Gentile, comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Yes. Right? We should rejoice. We should rejoice when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so am I blessed if it is a matter of progression? Yes. Let me ask you another question. Are we one step closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ when a saint professes their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. After all, because as a Reformed theologian, I believe that God has picked those who are coming to a saving faith, I believe that that is limited. There's limited atonement. And so the Bible says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. So there's a limited of atonement. Our name has been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. So every time somebody accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, he calls one of his saints that he has predestined before the beginning of time for one person closer. I've dealt with this with questions. People say, well, when will the Lord come? And I said, well, I know when the Lord will come, when the last person whose name has been written 
in the book is when Jesus Christ will return. The last person before the rapture. That he said, this is the people that will accept before the rapture. This is, this is when I return. So am I blessed? Am I blessed through that person coming to a saving knowledge of faith? Am I closer? Yes. Will you and I witness a restored Israel after the second coming of Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. So everybody's right. When you look at it that way, everybody's right. So for people that want to fight like cats and dogs and say it's a trickle, they're right. For people that say, oh no, oh no, what he's referring to is at the end. Do we really see it in its fullness? Yes, we do. I don't think it's one of these things that we will know completely until it happens. However, I want to talk about the real important point here. As we think about the Hebrews and Gentiles. And in fact, we're going to deal with this next Sunday. Hebrews and Gentiles. And I'm going to preach a little bit on 16 and 17 and 18 next week. But, but take a look there because it ties all of this together, I think, at a very important point. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, referring to Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, you and I, Gentiles, we've been grafted in. We've been grafted into the covenant promises that have been given to the Hebrew people when God gave those covenant promises to Abraham. Remember when you were a kid, if you went to VBS, Father Abraham... Father Abraham had many sons. That's what we were singing about. That we've been grafted in. So if you look at these verses and go, well, what does this have to do with me? Because I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. It's important to you because we have been grafted into that tree. Now, if we've been grafted into the tree... And we see here that as Paul outlines the plan for the Hebrew people, and if you believe that, yes, when the fullness is the end of time, let's throw some prophecy all over this and get this in proper context. Before the nation of Israel, the modern nation of Israel was created in the last century, Some of this would have been hard to get your head wrapped around because there wasn't a nation of Israel. It had ceased to exist. Israel as a place ruled by Hebrews ceased to exist. But we've witnessed that in the last century. What we could only imagine in our minds we can now see a pathway to reality. 
In other words, just as I looked back earlier in my sermon and said, you and I can look back to the beginning of the New Testament church, and in that first century, we can see this massive transformation from God working with the Hebrew people to all of a sudden God working with the Gentiles and establishing His New Testament church. And we have 2,000 years of church history to go, this lines up exactly with what God says. Now you and I can look and say, well, there, before there wasn't a nation of Israel. It had not been a nation of Israel for centuries. Now there is a nation of Israel. In other words, we're getting closer. Every day we get closer to his return. Every day as somebody puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're getting closer. And if I look at the prophecy and I can look back and I can see this huge change in the first century and I can say, well, that clearly shows that his word is true and that God has a plan and he's on course I want to remind you, in Matthew 25, 13, Christ tells us to watch. Matthew 25, 13, Christ says, Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I don't know the day or the hour. I can't sit there and say, is it 50 years from now? Is it 100 years from now? Is it 1,000 years from now? I have no idea. We don't know. But we can recognize the times. And we're told to watch. We're told to watch. In other words, we should look at the Word of God and say, I believe in the Word of God. I believe in His truth. I believe that the Lord's going to return. And I need to look at His Scripture and have some idea in how the end of times is going to play out. Book of Revelation, it says, if you study the book, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Now, I'm old enough to remember when at one point in my life, when I was a teenager, end of times was a topic of conversation among believers. When's the end of time coming? And there were lots of people that published their ideas on when the end of time was. And people wanted to know, and they, people went to classes, and people read books, and there were shows presented, and all of those things. When is God going to return? Doing just what Christ said, watch, watch. And I think it's a sad state of affairs in our current time. Where people are just consumed with what they want to do, their ideas, their fun, their pleasures. No attention's been given to the things of God and people watching and wanting to understand what the prophecy of God is. He is coming. He is coming again. And what the idea of Christ here in Matthew 25 is, is that we need to be ready. If you look at that parable in 25, it's regarding being ready. That your lamp is full. That you're ready. That you understand. That you're living your life according to being ready to stand before God. You know, my father-in-law always had this saying. He said, old people study the Bible more because they're cramming for the final exam. (laughs) And I think there's some truth in that. 
But it just doesn't need to be limited to old people, does it? He could come back tomorrow. He could come back tomorrow. And we need to know his word and know how you and I fit into the covenant promises of the Hebrew people so we can understand all of this. So 11 is going to be important as we look at 11. So that you can have an idea, how is God working in my life? How does God work in the New Testament church? What is his plans for the church? How do I as an individual fit into the promises of God? He's told us, wrote it down in his book. We just need to study it and know it. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that it is reliable. We thank you that you have given us the privilege of taking the veil from our eyes so that we can look at fulfilled prophecy and see where you've acted in history, among the hearts and minds of men, and in accomplishing your purpose and your truth. And I pray, Lord, that we would grab a hold of that, we would understand it, and we give you the glory for it. I also pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be lazy. I pray, Lord, that our lamp wouldn't be empty, but we'd have a full lamp looking, watching, expecting the return and knowing what a glorious day that's going to be. I pray, Lord, for those that are listening that don't know you, who have no hope of eternal life, that today they might place their faith in you and have the peace and security of knowing that they are a child in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.